Welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. So my name is Isha Kyogen Nushabadi, and I'm one of the co-founders alongside Beth Pilgrim of the social enterprise tech for good platform called Supply Change. Isha is a winner of this year's Cambridge Social Innovation Prize, which is awarded by Trinity Hall and the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation at the University of Cambridge. I asked Isha what Supply Change does. Supply Change, what we do is we, we have a platform which allows buyers to find social environmental suppliers based on location, trade and impact. So a buying organisation, you know, depending what they're looking for within their supply chain, can go onto the platform um, and find a supplier that might suit their impact or their kind of sourcing needs. Um, and what is quite unique about our platform is that it puts all our suppliers through a kind of due diligence process, which we've matched against the concerns or kind of the wants of procurement teams. So really making sure that they have through this platform, a checklist of organizations that are kind of procurement ready. And that's checking things like insurances, uh, financial stability, references, policies, trade certifications, accreditations associated with their trade or perhaps their impact. Are they diverse led suppliers? Are they cooperative are they a b corp or are they a social enterprise and we lay that all out for procurement teams so that they can make a really informed decision to to yeah potentially buy with them how did the idea for this come about yeah it's a great question so supply change is coming up to five years old now which is really exciting and we've created some really brilliant impact i think it's about six hundred thousand pounds redirected to social environmental suppliers through our work but it all started when Beth and I and another co-founder called Farina, he's since left the company, uh, we did this postgraduate course called Year Here. And through that, we were commissioned on a live project by Orbit Housing Association. And they asked us uh, why they had very few mission-driven organisations in their supply chain and what do we need to do to change that? And I guess, yeah, it was an eight-week project and we thought, you know, perfect that's definitely enough time to figure out this mammoth question <laughs> but to this day we are still trying to figure it out and break down barriers for why that is happening and we identified a lot of barriers you know things like scale of the social enterprise or mission-driven sector um, a lack of finance going into that sector to really help it meet the scale um, that is being demanded by buying organisations, a misperception of social environmental suppliers that they can't necessarily always get the job done. Um, but alongside these barriers, we also identified a huge amount of opportunity and also appetite. There's so many things, you know, even in the most recent couple of years that have really led to organisations thinking a lot more clearly about the way that they are creating impact of the way they're interacting with communities and society. If we think about the pandemic, for example, I think on an individual level, we were all really driven to think about the power of our own pound, especially at the beginning, we were trying to buy locally, we were trying to support charities or support social enterprises in our own kind of personal supply chains. And that has definitely fed up to employers who are thinking, you know, how can we how can we gauge and and keep the interest of our employers of our employees and how can we really show them that we are great companies to work for um how can we convince also our other stakeholders 
stakeholders, you know, not just our employees, but also our customers, our investors, um, the local stakeholders that we're interacting with, how can we really show them that we are committed to change and impact, not through just, you know, bake sales and charity fundraisers, but embedding impact into our day-to-day operations. And supply chains are a really brilliant way to do that. And also there's a a couple of bits of legislation that have been evolving in the UK over the last number of years that are really solidifying the need to implement social value in the commissioning of goods and services. And those bits of legislation have expediated this movement towards more conscious and impactful procurement. So yeah, there's there's a huge amount of appetite and opportunity within this area. You mentioned some of the barriers that you've faced whilst putting together and actually practicing, as it were, in terms of your social enterprise. Why do you think it is that you continue to face barriers? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of barriers to to why social and environmental suppliers um, struggle to get into supply chains. I think there's maybe, you know, we're it's a very we're at a very nascent stage of this movement of social and environmental procurement, and I think sometimes there's not enough maybe good examples out there that people have exposure to. There are definitely a lot of good examples out there, but it's just um, being able to shout about them and making sure that a lot of people hear about them so that they can feel inspired and um, gain passion for for the successes that have come. But I think there definitely needs to be more showcasing of case studies that really exemplify the power of social procurement and the impact that it can generate for organizations, for the the suppliers, um, and also for the individual beneficiaries that these social enterprises support. So I definitely think that there needs to be a lot more education and excitement built around the power of social procurement. And I think also there's, you know, there's a wider kind of systems level piece here as well, where the social finance sector maybe isn't fit for purpose in that it's not always backing those that have the potential to scale. There's there's maybe not enough appetite for risk amongst the social finance sector to really back those that create some really great impact but have the potential to scale. And I think by backing those organisations, we can really start to fill the gap, which kind of sits between you know small social enterprises that are doing on a ad hoc basis serving b2b contracts and then these kind of massive social enterprises that have been in the game for a long time but there's this middle ground that um is kind of underserved by the social finance sector and it'd be great to see more kind of movement towards funding and backing small scale or kind of medium scale social enterprises so that they can really meet the demand of buying organizations that are really keen to spend with them but they may not just be big enough at this stage to to meet those demands. So yeah, I think that those, you know, those two challenges around kind of education, but also, you know, let's really put our money behind these organizations and let's really back them so that they can get over this kind of problem of scaling so that they can grow through revenue alone. You mentioned that the pandemic has almost hurried things along in a way people wanting to buy locally people wanting to support charities people wanting to be 
more supportive of social enterprises that are you know being sustainable and socially innovative in the work that they do and the products that they're creating do you think the com- the consumer voice is also impacting what you are doing yeah absolutely you know when we think about buying organizations and who they are kind of accountable to a lot of you know they're accountable to multiple individuals and all these individuals are consumers in their own right and it might not be for uh, in a b2b capacity but they're interacting with the world every day and in these interactions they're calling in their values and these decisions that they're making and I think throughout the pandemic you know we it really exposed the kind of cracks that we had in our society and the difficulties that our society faced it really opened up and highlighted the inequality that we had the barriers that many people face and I think yeah this kind of rise in conscious consumerism on an individual level it's definitely affecting businesses and the way that they interact with the world and how they kind of view themselves as agents of change or how can they leverage the assets that they have to, I guess, impress those that they're kind of beholden to, whether it be people that sit on the board, whether it be their employees, whether it be their own consumers, their employees or anyone like that, potential talent, for example, they want to be as attractive as possible. So yeah, really allowing themselves to lean into these values that are really held dear to to many individuals that can be considered stakeholders to them. I think it's always going to be a good thing, both in terms of impact, but also in terms of financial return as well. Isha, what is the uh, the potential impact that an organisation such as yours can create? I mean, the opportunity to buy from social and environmental suppliers is vast. If we think of key sectors that are moving quite quickly in this space and their spend, it, it's enormous. If we look at the public sector, they have a £350 billion annual spend on essential goods and services. And if we were to just siphon off maybe, you know, 2% of that and and give that to social environmental suppliers in return for goods and services, that can be hugely transformative for for the sector. If we look at other sectors that are moving really quickly as well, like the construction sector or other sectors that service the public sector quite a lot, these sectors also have organisations within them that have a vast amount of spend. Construction, I think, is about £110 billion a year as well. So if any you know small amount of percentage of of these large bits of spending were spent with social environmental suppliers who are doing some really brilliant work to support people and communities across the UK the impact could be really really vast isha you were one of five uh, individuals to win the cambridge social innovation prize this year congratulations um what does it mean to you to be one of the the winners it's yeah it's um um yeah it's unbelievable <laughs> unexpected but i guess you know it's always good to to be kept on your toes like that but i mean it's a huge huge honor it's we've um we've been part of the kind of cambridge social ventures network and um been lucky enough to engage with that learning and the network that came as part of that um, and it's been hugely beneficial to us um the team are always on standby and really listen to us about what we need and always are providing support. So to have that continued, is going to be a huge benefit to us. And um, particularly as we're kind of at a pivotal point where we're going through a lot of changes and exciting bits around our platform and improving that. So to have this support is 
is huge and it's going to be really really helpful as we go through this transition I just yeah I feel very honored to be listed amongst social entrepreneurs that have come before that I've really admired and really looked up to and gained a lot of inspiration from so to be yeah to be listed on the same list as them is just incredible and feel very honored (laughs) so there is a, a monetary prize and it's meant to help with the development of yourselves as a founder and as a social entrepreneur do you have any ideas how you might use that to move forward with what you're doing and supply change Yeah, I think it's exceptionally helpful to have financial backing as well as the recognition. And I think there's not many funds out there that really allow founders to step back. And and I think some people often find themselves as kind of accidental entrepreneurs or they just like fall into it. And this thinking around leadership development or the structures that might be in place and like big corporates, for example, it's just not always something that we're kind of building into our model or you know have the resources to build into our model so to have this is is going to be really brilliant there's a couple of things and it's not yet decided I don't know if that's (laughs) if that's legitimate (laughs) but um, we're thinking about potentially upskilling in the kind of no code space as we kind of build our platform into its next kind of version we're thinking about uh, building that with no or low code tools and that's just to make sure that there's I guess it's a financially sustainable in the future to kind of iterate it and change it but also it allows someone within our team to upskill so there's potentially training around no code or low code tools and then also maybe potentially doing some courses around sustainability to kind of bolster our credentials but yeah those will kind of be the two options that we're kind of looking at now but it's hugely helpful and I think yeah as I said not that we're accidental entrepreneurs but I think from the beginning when we started off on you here we were always thinking to ourselves you know we're just going to see how it goes we'll see how it goes and then you know you're five years later it's <laughs> just seeing still seeing how it goes and of course we've got all these you know five-year projections and five-year strategies but yeah it's just it's really helpful to to have this as kind of something to step back and yeah, really focus on ourselves and future-proofing the business and an investment into the business itself. Congratulations to Isha Kiergan Nushabadi, a co-founder and the COO of Supply Change and one of the Cambridge Social Innovation Prize winners for 2023. You can find out more about the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation by following us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter and YouTube.